This is part three on Second Thessalonians 3, 6 to 10. And you remember we're dealing with people who are walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that Paul passed on. And they are refusing to do work, and they are becoming busybodies with other people, according to verses that come later in this chapter. And Paul's strategy now to deal with them is summed up right here. It's not the whole strategy, but it's the key action part. We commanded you this, for even when we were with you, we commanded this, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Father, I pray that we would understand the implications of this in the wider ethical teaching of Jesus and the New Testament, and you would give us hearts that are right towards our enemies, hearts that are right toward our brothers and sisters, by what we see here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The key here is not that everybody must work in order to get food, but they must be willing to work in order to get food. There are people who have disabilities people who have injuries, people who are sick, people who want to work and there are no jobs available. This is not a condemnation of everybody who can't work. This is a response to brothers in the community who, for wrong reasons, are unwilling to work. And Paul's dealing with them in tough love. This is not treating them as an enemy. He makes that very clear when he says, Do not regard him as an enemy, verse 15, but warn him as a brother. So we're talking not here about punishment. This is not a punishment. This is a strategy for winning him into obedience. And the strategy is, well, if um, shame does not work, have nothing to do with him, that he may be shamed. If shame will not work, maybe hunger will work. So two motives. Let's make him hungry and let's make him ashamed because we want him back as a brother. We don't want to support his path of disobedience toward destruction. So that's the idea here. And the question I have mainly is, how is this not a disobedience or a contradiction to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, in every one of these situations, you could say you are being taken advantage of, right? Someone does you evil, someone slaps you, 
Someone takes your tunic. Someone forces you to go a mile. Someone begs. And someone borrows. And you are called in every one of these situations not to demand your rights, but to give them up. And it looks like you are being totally shamed and taken advantage of. Now, why would Jesus command things like that? And the answer, I think, is given, half of it, here in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, when people are mistreating you, so this is one form of mistreating, reviling, persecuting, uttering all kinds of evil. And this is another form, slapping you, suing you to take your tunic, making you go a mile. They're all of one piece. And Jesus' response is, or telling us to respond, is rejoice, be glad. In other words, let your behavior show that your joy in your heavenly reward, who is Christ ultimately, is not dependent on not being reviled, not being persecuted, and not being slandered. Even when the worst things are happening to you, you can rejoice, you can be glad, because great is Christ in your heart and in heaven. Your heart is satisfied in Christ, and you have the wherewithal to return good for evil. That's the idea. So all of these return good for evil commands here, let yourself be taken advantage of commands, are aimed at showing, let's see if I can write it more clearly, showing the all-satisfying Christ, your treasure in heaven and your present experience of it is so deep that you do not need to retaliate, but can let yourself be taken advantage of. So that's half of the answer of why would he command things like this? Answer, to show that Christ is great, to show that he's a better treasure than all of these things you would like to snap back at. The other half is you want to do good to these people. Love your enemy. That's what comes next in verses 43 following. Love your enemy. You want good to come to these enemies, these people that are abusing and mistreating you. Now, my question is, why is this strategy of love not a contradiction to that? If anyone is not willing to work, why not turn the other cheek? Why not give to him who asks? Why not go the extra mile, like Jesus said, instead of coming up with a tough love, tough love, and causing the person to feel shame by not giving them something to eat? When Paul in other places, seem to say that your enemy is going to be shamed if you do what Jesus said. If your enemy is hungry, 
Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By so doing, you heap burning coals on his head. Which may be judgment, but probably before judgment is shame, so that he wakes up and stops being your enemy. So there's a real place for literal obedience to these commands, and they are the ones that check our hearts most deeply to see if we are in tune with Jesus. And here we are dealing with a brother. That's one difference, not an enemy. And the standard should be higher for a brother. And the question is, is this form of love legitimate in view of what Jesus said? Because this is love. This is not an alternative to love. And my, this is a huge ethical question. Let me just point you in a path of possible solution. Both Jesus and Paul indicate in other places that there are relationships in life where turning the other cheek is not the right thing to do and not the way forward in holding together a loving fabric of a community that can actually function for the good of people. And those spheres would include parents. Parents should not turn the other cheek every time their children disobey and disrespect. They should discipline. The Bible says plainly that they should. Then comes the state and government. Police should not turn the other cheek when a criminal is wielding a gun. They are given the sword, Paul says, for the sake of punishing evildoers. So in the case of the state, another example would be commerce. If an employee will not work, he never shows up on time, he has stopped coming in, his salary should cease. Otherwise, the whole business cannot proceed. Another example would be education. If a person performs at a C or a B or a D level, then you give them a C or a D or a B grade. There should be a correlation between evaluation and performance. And then another one is church. The whole concept of church discipline depends on not turning the other cheek every time someone sins against a brother, but rather the elders of the church take steps to discipline them first by loving correction and then by excommunication. So those are examples that both Jesus and Paul would point to as places where turning the other cheek is not the fitting response to reveal what God is really like in this situation and how best to be the most loving person. So, how do you make the decision here? Here we have Paul's admonition for what to do, and so we can follow him with confidence, but we should still ask, Paul, how are you thinking in relation to Jesus' Jesus' commandments? And I'm going to suggest that we ask two questions. Is my heart satisfied with Christ or in, let's just say, satisfied in Christ in order to be 
taken advantage of without retaliation, without retaliation. I can't fit all this on here. Eation. So that's the first question I would ask. And secondly, I would ask, do I want my brother's good? That's what Paul seems to be doing to me. That's what it seems to me that he's doing. He is, he is justifying this kind of tough love by applying the same principles that are going on back in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Am I satisfied so that I can turn the other cheek without retaliation? I can go the extra mile. And do I want the good? Am I just punishing him, but when he says, can I have food? And it's really interesting to, to think of this. So here comes the brother who's refusing to work, knocking on your door, asking for food. And you say to him, you know that the apostle has said, as long as you are willing, unwilling to work, we cannot give you food and thus support your disobedience. An hour later, your adversary comes, somebody who's not a member of the church, and they have come into dire straits, and they have hated you and mistreated you, and they ask for food, and you give it to them. And in both cases, the same dynamics are at work. The heart is satisfied in God. You don't have any ill will towards your brother when you turn him down, and you don't have any ill will towards your enemy when you give him food, even though he's your enemy. You want your brother's good. You want your enemy's good. This is tough. This is, these are tough ethical decisions, and I think we probably don't pay enough attention to Jesus' commands here because they're so difficult and they so go against our hearts, and we should. But we should not absolutize them to the extent that we say this is the only way that love can be shown to a brother or an enemy.